Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Again, if uh, you came in a few minutes late, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church, and I just want to say welcome one more time. Today is a day that we're calling Vision Day. We're going to be talking um, about uh, what God is speaking to this uh, group of believers and seekers that meets here at Regal Cinemas on uh, Jarman Road in the Greenbrier section of Chesapeake. Now, this is not necessarily what God is speaking to every church, but God is speaking to our church. And the series that we're kind of doing this all under is called I Love My Church. Actually, for those who are tech savvy, it's it's actually called hashtag I love my church. It's a it's a takeoff and a play on the Twitter hashtag, which you can hashtag now on Facebook. I don't know if you know that. You can just put a hashtag and you can search even on those. Anyway, that's not has anything to do with what we're talking about. Um, real quick though, one thing though, you do want to make sure that today you if you want an I love my church uh, t-shirt, vertical church swagware. Um, then you want to pre-order that today. Uh, you can also pre-order that online at verticalchurch.tv, um, and we'll have them in a few weeks. Here's kind of where I want to start today, okay? Here's the key thought. If you're taking notes, if you're a note taker, you can uh, take notes on the back of your program. There's a space there provided for you. If you don't like to write, you can take notes on the Uversion app. You open it up, and there's a little live tab on the side. Just click that and search for Vertical all the notes are there ready for you as well. So here's kind of the key thought. Here's where we're going to, uh, if you think of a diving board, here's where we're going to dive off of this kind of key thought. This is our launch pad. So many different analogies. Anyway, false gods promise what only the true God provides. Now, I know that's kind of deep considering we we only started the message a couple minutes ago, but that's our key thought. That's really our, our jumping off point today, that false gods promise what only the true God provides. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down or fill in the blank on the back of the program. False gods promise what only the true God provides. Let me give you an example. Um, how many would agree that in American culture, money... Or, or financial uh, status is a pretty popular false god. Would you agree with that statement? Okay, cool. Um, because, and and here's, here's how that works, according to the, the key thought that we're bouncing off of. Money, if it's your god, if it's your, 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 you know, your idol, it promises happiness, it promises security, it promises a good life. But those things are things that only the true God can provide. The, the false God of, of money will promise you that if you have enough of it, you'll be happy. Life will be good. You will feel secure. But, but when you or someone you love is, is, is given 30 days to live because of some diagnosis... It doesn't really matter how much money you have, does it? Because your security, your happiness, your joy is gone when that is your God. It's a false promise. It's a God who can't deliver on the promises 
that it makes. If you one day um, lose a child or, or, or have a miscarriage, there's no amount of money that can buy your happiness in that moment. And so it's a false God because it promises what it cannot provide. Today we're going to look at a guy named Elijah. Uh, we're going to look at his life. And, and matter of fact, we're going to look at a snapshot of his life found in 1 Kings chapter 18. We looked at this several weeks ago back in our Now Showing series. We looked at the first half of the story up to the point where Elijah issues the question to the people. We're going to pick it up from there and, and, and take it forward. If you haven't seen it, go back on verticalchurch.tv. You can watch it there. That's cool. But I'm going to summarize for you kind of where we're at in the story. So whether you are here or not, you can still uh, kind of be familiar with what's happening. At this point in Israel, the, the nation of Israel's history, they have split into two kingdoms. There's the southern kingdom called Judah, and there's the northern kingdom, which is really the ten tribes of Israel called Israel. And, and Israel, the northern kingdom, is, is living very idolatrous lives. The whole, the whole group of people, the whole uh, culture has been called to live for God and to, to pursue God, the, the one God, Yahweh God, but, but they're worshiping false gods. And there's two false gods in particular that they're worshiping. They're worshiping a God called Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce it, uh, who is the sun god, or, or the god, catch this, the god of fire, the hot god, you know. This is the sun god. And, and Asherah, who's, for, for a lack of really diving into the whole, you know, uh, specifics of the culture, Asherah is kind of like Baal's wife, okay? Not exactly, the analogy falls apart, but it, it helps if you think of it that way. So you've got Baal, the sun god, and you've got Asherah, kind of like Baal's wife. And and here's the promise that these gods have made to the Israelites. Worship us, and we'll make your crops grow. Worship us, and we'll make sure that you prosper by, by growing your, your, your plants, and by growing uh, food for your animals, and by growing and, and prospering the land. We'll send the rain. We'll make sure everything goes right for you. Well, what happens is God sends this guy named Elijah to confront the nation and to confront the king of the nation named Ahab. And because the, the false gods promised rain, Elijah calls for a drought, a three-year drought, in fact. And it doesn't rain for three years. During this whole time, Elijah is in hiding. He is being taken care of by birds, and, and God's providing for him in this ravine. And finally... He comes back, and he calls for a showdown between the, the, the gods of, of Baal and Asherah, their prophets, and himself. He, he calls for um, kind of a, a, a playoff, a sudden death playoff. We're going to see whose God is the real God by, by whose God can answer with fire on a sacrifice. So what he does is he, he goes to... Uh, Mount Carmel, and he, he constructs an altar. And, and he, he says, let's do this. Let's, let's have two bulls, two bulls, and we're going, to, we're going to lay them out on our altars. You can lay them out on your altar of, of Baal and Asherah. I'm going to reconstruct the, the altar of Yahweh, and we're going to lay them out, and we're going to see whose God will drop fire down 
from heaven and consume the sacrifice. Let's, let's find out, fellas, who the true God is. Now, you've got to keep in mind that um, they, they must have thought Elijah was crazy because he just set up, he, he just gave the prophets of Baal and Asherah not only home field advantage, but he gave them like a head start because who is Baal but the sun god, the god of fire? Elijah says, your God is the God of fire. All right, cool. Let's, let's construct an altar, put a bull, and see who can answer by fire. Your God's the God of fire. Let's, let's play by your rules. Let's play your game, uh, and we'll see who the true God is. And so they do that, and, and, they, and they build that, and, and it's about to go down. And that's kind of where we, where we pick up our story today. Now, kind of a side note here. Most of us in the room are not worshiping Baal or Asherah. Not that I know of. Most of us are not worshiping the God of the sun or, or, or the, the sun god or, or, or the sun god's wife. But, but we are, many of us in the room, and especially many people in the world that we live in, we're not worshiping false gods as obvious as Baal, but, but we really worship more socially acceptable gods. And, and you might not buy into that. You might not believe that. Dude, I don't worship anybody. I'm, I'm an atheist. I, I have no God. Well, you know, let me punch a, let me throw a rock through the window of your car and we'll find out if you have a God. You know what I mean? Your, your God might not be money, but it might be material possessions. It might be your house. It might be your image. It might be your children. Anything that you place in your life and elevate it to the place that the true God says is His place in your life, anything that you build your life around, anything that occupies the center of your existence that is not the true God is a false God. And false gods promise what only the true God can provide. And so here we go in our story, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. If you have a Bible... You can follow along, that's cool. If you don't, scriptures will be right behind us. So they took the bull given to them, this is the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no answer. There was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. So step one, if you have a false god, is to is to shout and, and call out to your God for hours upon hours to see if he or she will answer you. And if that doesn't work, then do a little dance. Maybe, maybe your God is, is a little bit hard of hearing, so you've got to dance for them. And, and just a little you know, research on this dance that they do. I would demonstrate it for you, but you might not come back. Because it's this, it's this worship dance, but it's really more that it's, it's this full-bodied jumping and, and shaking and, and twisting around and, and, and shouts of joy. And, and nobody really dances like that anymore, right? You know what I mean? Nobody really, nobody goes to a concert and dances that way. Nobody, 
Nobody went, nobody gets an extreme home makeover and they say, move the bus. And they're, oh, Lord. You know, nobody dances that way. You know, nobody goes to football games and takes their shirt off and paints their belly and dances when their team scores a touchdown. We don't really worship false gods, do we? Next verse. Let's go on. Nobody wins the lottery. Whoa. Anyway, next verse. Elijah starts messing with him. Look what he does. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. This is hilarious. Watch it. Shout louder, he said. Look, you're shouting. You've done step one. You're dancing. Hey, why don't you try to shout louder? Maybe, look what he says. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. He's He's taunting them. Maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe your God's taking a siesta. Maybe he's napping. Maybe he's busy. I love that word busy because I got to clue you in on this one. I'm not making this up at all. I promise you this is what it, exactly what it means. What, when Elijah says maybe he's busy, what he's really saying is maybe he's going to the bathroom to relieve himself. He's, he's playing with them. He's taunting them because they're doing all this stuff around their altar and they can't get the God of fire to answer. Verse 28, look what they do. Step, they, they move on, step three. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So if step one doesn't work and step two doesn't work, step three, when all else fails, shout louder and look at it, physically harm yourself so that your God knows you're willing to shed your own blood to get his or her attention. Interesting that false gods require you to shed your own blood, but the true God shed his own blood for us. Just a, just a little side note there. I find that really intriguing. False gods will want your blood, but God will accept the blood of his son. Anyway, that's just totally a side note. Most of us, like I said, most of us don't cry out. Most of us aren't, well, some of us are, but, but many of us are not cutting ourselves to worship our false god all day long, but we will cry out to them for a lifetime, searching for meaning and pursuing a God that cannot deliver on what they have promised. And I want you to see this. This is one of the, 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 the saddest sentences in this whole passage. Because look at what the result was of all of this worshiping and crying, and, 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 and slashing, and, and dancing. Look at what the response was from their God. The next sentence says, there was no response. No one answered. No one paid. And I don't know if that breaks your heart, but that breaks my heart. Because it's this image of people crying out to a God. I just want my God to answer. I just need to know that, that, 
that when the time comes and the crisis hits, that you'll be there for me. I just need to know that all of my worship is not in vain. I, I just need to know that when I need security, that you'll be there to provide it. And no response. No answer. No one paid attention. It's this, it's this feeling of utter aloneness. There's a, there's a deep wound in the human race. There's a deep wound in our heart. It's this primal question, will my God listen? It's, it's, it's this level of terror. What do I have to do? How do I have to perform? How good do I have to be to get my God to come through? And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure there's a more apt description of our culture and our world in America in 2013 than this verse. No response. No one answered. No one paid picture men and women slaving all day at a job that they hate to make money so that they can live in a house that's going to provide them security and happiness but at the end of the day no one answers the security is like sand and the happiness comes and goes I imagine men and women who sculpt their bodies so that they can look a certain way. I imagine women, I imagine teenage girls staring at magazine covers wondering if I can ever get my body to look that way and so I will do whatever it takes even if I have to shed my own blood to meet my God's requirements of beauty. Nobody is answering. And no one is paying attention. Friends, if that doesn't grip you, that we live in a world searching for God and no God is answering. Then, then I, I, I don't know what to do. And we may be more advanced and we may be in a different situation, but you and I, we live in a culture that's far from God and everybody is worshiping one thing or another and does their God answer when they are in need. And your God fails you. There's this, there's this ultimate feeling of isolation. My God didn't answer. He didn't even pay me any attention. That, that one thought has been, has been crumbling my heart for the last six or seven months. God, there's people needing to hear from their God that they've been worshiping for years and they're not getting an answer. And so Elijah steps into this emotional minefield. And he does four things. And I want to share those four things with you because I believe that's what God is calling us to do in 2013. I believe these four things really shed light onto what the proper Christian activity is in a world that is seeking for God, in a, but, but, but is getting no answer from their false God. I believe our job as a church is not to, is not to 
fill, fill all the needs of the world, but to simply pour out everything that we have. See, we can't meet every need. We can't be every answer, but we can give all that we have. And I believe if we do that with these four things, I believe we'll change the world. I believe that in 12 months, we will see more happen. We will see God do more in and through our church and through other churches that we partner with than some people see in a lifetime if we do four things. Look at these, verse, verse 30, chapter 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. The first thing that Elijah does, Elijah invites people to experience God at the altar. Elijah invited them. Hey, hey, hey. Come here. And he didn't, he didn't beat them over the head. He didn't drag them. He didn't tie them up. He, didn't, he, he just said, hey, hey. Come here. I want to show you something. I, God meets me at the altar. And I believe if you'll come with me, God will meet you here too. You know, the nature and purpose of an altar throughout the Old Testament is, is a place of encounter with God. It's a place where men and women who had visions from God, they would, they would then build an altar to to symbolize and to, to remember that experience with God. Throughout the Old Testament, there are over 400 references to altars as places of worship, places of sacrifice, and places of new beginnings. And it's to this place, this, this altar that, that Elijah issues an invitation. Come, come here. You don't have to believe that, that this God's going to answer by fire. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to change anything about yourself right now. Just come. I want to invite you to the altar. And that's exactly the first thing I believe we need to commit ourselves to doing. Offering invitations to people who are far from God, whose gods are not answering, who, who have been left alone by their false God, who promised something that he or she could not deliver, and we just say, hey, hey come here. Just, just come with me. I, I want to take you to a place where you can experience a God who actually answers, who will actually deliver on what he has promised. When you call on him, he'll answer. Did you know that within five miles of the place that we're sitting right now, Five-mile circle. There are over 200,000 people who don't know Jesus, who are worshiping a God who cannot deliver on the promises they're making, writing checks that they cannot cash. 200,000 people. And, and, and the first thing Elijah does is says, hey, come here. Come, come with me. No, just, just come. Number two, verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, enough to hold two seas of seed. The second thing that Elijah does, the first thing is he does is he says, Come, come here, come here. I want you to. And then the second thing is he builds an altar. He builds 
an altar in the name of the Lord. Have you ever built something? Like raise your hand, say amen if you've ever built something. You know what happens when you build something? Do you know what happened when I picked those bricks up yesterday? I got sweaty. <laughs> this isn't glamorous. This isn't exciting. I sweated. Is that, is that how you say past tense of sweat? Sweated? I have no idea. Anyway, Elijah invested his own sweat into seeing people who are far from God experience the life-changing presence of the God who will answer. Elijah invested sweat equity. You know what he did? He worked. And you know what we're going to ask you to do? Work. <laughs> Volunteer. Why? Because building altars in a world who, that, that does not know God takes work. <laughs> altars, surprise, don't build themselves. It takes people. And so here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to step up and serve. And for those who can, serve more. But Pastor Josh, I'm already serving once a month. Do you know that there are people that are sitting in this room right now? Not only do they serve two or three times a month, they're serving every week. <laughs> Why are they serving every week? Because there's an altar that needs to be built so that people who are far from God can find life in Jesus. They're giving everything that they have. And so we need more of you to jump into it. Jump into it. Two times a month, three times a month. What? If, if you're not doing anything at all, jump in. Jump in and build an altar. Jump in and build an environment where people who are far from God can find life. Build an environment where people whose gods aren't answering in them and they feel completely alone can experience God's presence. Elijah does four things. First thing, invite. Second thing, build. Third thing, verse 33. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. You know what Elijah laid on the altar? A bull. A bull. Not just the, the Old Testament code would have been Elijah would have had to have laid a young bull. Do you know how much a young bull was worth in those times? That only the elite of the elite had access to meat like that. Only the, the top of the socioeconomic scale had access to a bull. So it wouldn't have been cheap. That sacrifice would have been incredibly expensive. And, and it's a young bull. So just at the point where the animal could start making you money, sacrifice it. Right when it could start paying for itself, you give it away. Because every sacrifice is a costly sacrifice. Because there's always a cost associated with an altar. There's always a price to be paid when we point people to Jesus. And so here's what we're asking you to do. On September 8, 2013, just a few weeks away, we're celebrating I Love My Church Sunday. I love my church Sunday, and here's what we're going to do. September 8th, we're going to launch a 12-month I Love My Church initiative to, to go above and beyond our regular giving, our regular tithes and offering, and we're going to encourage you to take your next step. That's it. We're not going to ask you to sign over the mortgage of your house. 
We're not going to ask you to take out a line of credit. We're asking you to take your next step. And here's what that looks like. Some of you aren't giving anything. You come and you experience the presence of God and your life is being changed and transformed. And that's so far, that's cool. But here's what, like, seriously, here's what we're asking. Give something. That's your next step. You see what I'm saying? You're not giving anything, so your next step is to give something. Something. Some of you are, are, are regular givers, but you're not tithing. You're not giving 10% to your local church for the, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So we want you to use I Love My Church to do that. You're, you're giving at, at one level. We want you to take it up to tithing. Take it up and, and, and do it as I love my church. I love my church. There's a few of us in the room. We're tithing or we're giving more than the tithe. We want you to walk into a new level of generosity by Maybe that looks like going up a percentage point. Maybe it's two percentage points. We just want you to take your next step. Whatever that step that Jesus leads you to take, whatever that is, do something. You know, I just did a little bit of math. This, is, this will blow your mind. It blows my mind. Maybe you're more uh, genius than I am. 50 people. Look, there's more than 50 people in here. Okay? 50 people say, say Pastor Josh, I'm going to take my next step, and for that step, it's $10 a week. $10 a week. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to make my I Love My Church uh, pledge. I'm going to do $10 a week for 12 months. Did you know if 50 people, now some of you can, get, can, can increase more than $10 a week. You've got that. God has blessed you. You've got that surplus. Some, can, some of you can do 100 Some of you can do $500 extra a month, and it wouldn't bother you at all. It's $10 a week. Do you know that that's like, that's like fasting a, a, a meal the way you eat out? Average American eats out about four to five times a week. That's taking one of those times, fasting it, putting it in your I love my church, giving it to the church. I love my church. Here's my, here's my next step offering. Did you know 50 people do that? That's $26,000 extra a year that, that, that our church can use to point people to Jesus. Do something. Something. You don't have... God doesn't ask you and me to do it all. He doesn't ask us to fill the complete need. He just asks us to pour out what we have. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to do it all. I'm not asking one person to underwrite the next 12 months of the church. That's ludicrous. But if we all do something, then God can do something amazing. Because there's no greater investment than the local church to advance the kingdom of God. Nothing better. This is plan A for God, and there is no plan B. You read the New Testament, there is no plan B. The church is plan A, and that's what God's doing. So September 8th, day one of our I Love My Church initiative, uh, we're calling it a, a, vision, a, a vision special offering, I Love My Church special offering. We're going to kick this thing off with a celebration. September 8th, bring your best gift on that day, and we're going to give you pledge cards from now until then so you can say, I'm going to give this much every week, every month, over and above what I already currently give for the next 12 months. And it's going to be awesome, and God's going to change the world because of what you do. Last thing, number four, verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are God, that you, are, that you Lord, are God and that you're turning their heart back again. So Elijah invites, Elijah builds, Elijah gives. The third thing, he sacrifices, he gives. 
Number four, Elijah prayed at the altar. We're asking you to pray. What kind of prayer? The, the prayer that Elijah prayed was incredibly simple and straightforward. It was a, humble, it was a contrast to the wild, uh, uh, crazy, delirious prayers of the, the prophets of Baal. Just a very simple, 58 words in the English translation, 41 in the Hebrew. Very simple prayer because prayer will change all sorts of things. It will change you. It will move the heart of God. It will, it, it will affect change in you and in the world. The fourth thing we're going to commit to, the church, is pray. And you say, well, gosh, I don't, I don't know how to pray. What do I pray for? Cool. You have a prayer card. You got it when you came in today. It's, it looks like a little bookmark. There are five things on there that I want not only you to pray throughout the whole year, but Pastor Brian and I especially want you to pray these things over the next 21 days. There's 21 days between now and September 8th. I love my church Sunday. Five things to pray. Here we go. This is what they are. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Number one, ask God to absolutely set you on fire. I know that sounds like really churchy way of saying it, but we're talking about Elijah and the altar and the fire coming down from heaven, so go with me there. Ask God to absolutely set you on fire, to ignite you with passion and consume you so that you're not just attending a church, but you're fulfilling God's purpose and vision for your life because people who are filled with passion make a difference in their world. Number two, pray that you will respond to opportunities, look at this, out of conviction of the Holy Spirit rather than convenience of doing what is easy. God's going to give you opportunities to invite. God's going to give you opportunities to give. God's going to provide you opportunities to build. Pray that you'll respond out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not out of the convenience of what is easy. Number three, beg, and I do mean beg, God to allow you to see people the way he sees them. People who are crying out to God and know God is listening. One of the, well, I believe one of the fundamental problems in the, in the church world is that we don't see people the way God sees people. Because if we did, it would change everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, we don't regard anyone the way we used to. We, regard, we don't regard them from a worldly point of view. Number four, make the decision in prayer that you don't have to have all the answers before you obey the voice of God. Lord, you've told me and that's good enough. Francis Chan uh, said this. I thought this was really cool. He said, when I read the Bible, it makes perfect sense not to know what was going to happen next. Isn't that just an incredibly freeing thought? Like, I don't need to know what's going to happen next. God has spoken. I'm going to take him in his word and do whatever he told me to do. We don't have to know what's going to happen before we are obedient. Number five, this is more like what kind of prayer to pray. Pray bold prayers for our church. You know, the early church prayed for boldness, and oftentimes we pray for safety. The early church prayed for people to come to Christ, for, for, for the gospel to advance and, and expand all over the world. We pray for churches that are safe. So let's take this time, 21 days. Along that 21-day journey, every Monday, there's going to be a new devotion published on the website. Front page, it'll say devotion. You click on it, and it's a way for you to continually just engage in the life of our church. Let's take this time, these 21 days, this I Love My Church series, and let's, let's beg God to do the unexplainable and undeniable 
so that he'll receive all the glory. Look what happens. Uh, look what happens next. Elijah does those four things. He invites, he builds, he gives, and he prays. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, and this is what I believe, seriously, this is what I believe is about to happen in the next 12 months of our church. We do these four things. They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The fire falls and the people recognize and experience the one true God. Because false gods promise what they cannot ultimately provide. But the true God, the one true God, when he makes a promise, well, he can deliver on it and he can provide. We live in a world we live in a world that's devoted to dozens and dozens of false gods. And we could list and rattle off all sorts of different things. But all of them promise what they cannot provide. So God's solution to a world that looks like that is you and me in community, becoming altars that go out and say, come here. Experience God. Experience God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to invite. And if we do that, well, God changed the world. And that's what I love my church is all about. That's what this whole thing is all about. We can't make people meet him. But we can create an environment of possibility. Did you know there's a place in California called Death Valley? It's called Death Valley. It's a desert area. It's the lowest, hottest, driest area in all of North America. It holds the record for the, the highest reliably reported air temperature in the world. Nowhere in the world has a reliable air temperature hotter than on July 10th, 1913, of 134 degrees. Death Valley, California. July 12th, just last year, 2012, the day's low temperature was 107, which tied the record for the world's hottest low temperature. The average temperature for that day was 117.5, world record for a 24-hour average not just an inhospitable environment for life, it's a very <laughs> inhospitable environment for life. It's a desert. Now in the winter of 2004, something very strange happened in Death Valley, California. It rained. They had periods of rain, but it really rained. Seven inches fell over just a short period of time. Very, very rare thing. And then, in the spring of 2005, something no one could predict, something no one saw coming happened in Death Valley, California. The entire desert exploded in flowers. It looked like a meadow. The whole place just, just was full of color and life. 
and it proved that Death Valley, California wasn't actually dead. It was dormant. And all it needed was the right environment for life to explode. You see, you and I, we can't control life exploding in people's hearts. There are men and women who are a personal death valley. And everyone has written them off. They're hopeless. They're worthless. They'll never know Jesus. They'll never get their lives straight. They'll never change. But in their life, just like in this desert of death, just underneath the surface, there are seeds of possibility waiting for the right environment. Waiting for a group of people who will do whatever it takes to create an opportunity for people to experience a different atmosphere. That's us. That's you. That's me. All working together to create environments of life change. So will it be you? Will it be you to awaken what's lying dormant in the hearts of men and women? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your presence that's here with us this morning. We ask, God, that you would allow this to sink into our hearts as we commit ourselves to doing four things. Lord, we will pray like we have never prayed before. God, help us to see people the way you see them. Change our hearts where they need to be changed, God. Lord, allow us to pray for passion and, and, and the fire of God to live in our hearts. Lord, we will give. We will take our next step. We know, God, that we can't do everything individually that needs to be done, but if we come together and we all do something, then you'll do something greater. Lord, we commit ourselves to serving. Some for the first time, some more. And God, we ask that you would open up opportunities for us to invite. Invite people whose gods are not listening. Invite them to the presence and the, 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 the environment where the one true God will encounter them. Lord, let us be the altar. This is not like the temple period where people had to come to the altar, Lord, but we as altars, as, as the place where the sacrifice takes place in our hearts, we can go and take your presence. We love you. We love our church. Do through us the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.